Hello, my name is Christine Murray, and welcome to the Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings more than the buildings themselves. Hi, Christine. My name's Richard Pierce from TCN, uh, which is a business I set up back in 2006. And we're a privately owned property company that focus on regenerating unloved buildings, uh, creating surprising places and managing vibrant communities. So primarily, would you say you're working in office space or the most of what you do offices? It, almost everything we do is in office space. So we, we take old buildings and regenerate them uh, and they're all multi-let workspaces. So typically a, a building would have 30 to 40 um, companies in it. And a typical company would be between two to four people up to 50 people. So we very much focus on creating environments for SME, small, medium-sized enterprises, uh, particularly around the creative and digital sectors. And we focus on the community aspect of that. So using old buildings uh, with lots of interest and character, which helps engender a sort of vibrant community of businesses where Everyone's got their own space, but people come together in the breakout spaces and kitchen areas to uh, collaborate and support each other. So it's been a sector, I think, that we can safely say has been through a bit of a, an upheaval through COVID and people are now returning to workplaces. Has it changed the appetite for what people want? Uh, it certainly has. I mean, there's a general, when we talk about the sector, talking about the office sector as a whole, um, obviously, that sort of breaks down into lots of different parts. We've always focused on, as I say, that sort of small, medium-sized space where people actually want to cluster together and, and be part of a community. And that's an area that COVID has just accelerated, really. And, and more than ever, people have got to have a reason to get out of their comfortable homes. And, you know, it's very easy to, and very productive to sit at home and, and do sort of process-driven work. But anything that requires creativity or um, real thought and, and communication really has done best in real life. So that's where people are looking for spaces where you, know, you want to get come to and come together and um, do business together. So it, that's definitely evolved and progressed since COVID, obviously at the expense of um, what I probably rudely called old fashioned boring offices, which are big floor plates of lots of um, people sat at computers in, a, in an office park somewhere, which frankly, you can do it at home now. So you have to give people a reason to come come to a place now. So what is that reason when you're looking for, you know, when you're looking for a building that you're interested in investing in? What do you see as key ingredients, you know, to give people that reason to show up? Uh, well, I think firstly, creating a sense of place. So we tend to focus on good cities where there's great connectivity. So you know, in our case, everything's within two hours of London, um, which inevitably is is still a major and will continue, continue to be a major hub. So people want to be able to get to meetings in London maybe once or twice a week, but don't feel they need to be in London the whole time. Um, so we look for good cities where there's a great lifestyle as well. So everything from affordable living, so staff can afford to live in a place, um, a lifestyle where you've got good schools, people can walk or cycle to work. It's really, those are the sort of macro dynamics that, that we look at and say, this is the sort of place that a business could thrive because you've got a deep pool of talent and resource and people are happy living in that area. Um, and then at a micro level, it's all about offering something more uh, in the form of, in our case, old buildings, where there's heritage and soul and character. Um, we all know that creative industries love exposed brick and stripped wooden floors and 
you know, Brooklyn back in the day originally, um, Soho in, in London, uh, all places with a real, real character and a fabric to them that that stirs the soul a bit and, and is more than just sitting in a, in a glass box. I talk to a lot of developers who are trying to create character. You know, they're looking in to hire an architect when they're designing their new buildings. You have, um, you know, this real impetus to create something that has a sense of place or a sense of identity. Is that just easier to do with a heritage or historic building? It is. I mean, we have a bit of a joke in our office that we never want to see the, um, the wallpaper that looks like bricks. Um, and um, there are examples in some what I call grade A offices, which is you know new build or modern office buildings where perhaps in the breakout area, the wallpaper will, will look like exposed brick. Um, so we don't have to have the uh, fake wallpaper, which is great. Um, and also what you're seeing now is a lot of interior design in modern buildings to try and create that sort of more feeling of being at home. Sometimes it works and sometimes they're just slightly annoying graphics on a wall telling you to love coming to work, which kind of doesn't really have much substance to it. So, yeah, look, our job is definitely easier because we've just got amazing buildings. I mean, if you look at uh, Newark Works in Bath, which is our, our newest project, um, that's a 40,000 square foot building. So that will that has uh, capacity for 50 to 60 businesses, probably about 800 people. And it was built in 1850. Um, it's funny enough, um, we were talking about your, your home of Canada and um, in fact, the architect that built Newark Works um, then moved to Canada and built the parliament buildings in Canada. So um, there's some, some, some synergy there. But, you know, Stothard and Pitt were the people that uh, ran that as a factory in the 1850s. And they were producing cranes that went off around the world. So if you go to any dockyard in from Mombasa to New Zealand, the cranes on the shipyard will be Stothard and Pitt cranes. Well, we've taken their old building on that's been derelict for 20 or 30 years and have developed this campus um, full of intrigue right down to the crane that still hangs in what we call the crane hall, which was the original crane that, that moved the materials around the building. So that sort of soul and heritage and history and story is, is really what, um, you know, people look for, and you can create a really special environment, and and for us, most importantly, a vibrant community around these kind of soulful heritage aspects. So, there, you know, it comes with soul, it comes with history, it comes with this kind of um, story, but imagine it comes with some challenges as well. And often, what you know, I hear is while there is a growing clamor to retain and you know recycle these buildings for climate reasons and for the carbon savings as well of um, retaining that embodied carbon, there's a lot of people who say, look, it's just not possible. Uh, to retrofit or refurbish, it's cheaper to knock it down, the viability doesn't work, or it's a hassle, especially since Newark Works was grade two listed, if I'm right. So, you know, this idea. In a, in a world heritage site, yeah. 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 So, so I think, you know, what do you say to, to that perception that heritage or historic buildings are just too problematic? Well, look, I think there's probably two, two parts to that question in the form of are they too problematic and then the sustainability angle on it. Um, and in terms of the problematic side of it, they are they definitely require passion and determination. And there's no doubt about that. And what I think where people sometimes look at it almost down the wrong end of the lens is um, trying to turn an old building into a modern modern workspace. Now, inevitably, they'll have columns and 
bits in the wrong place that the listed building people will not let you move. But actually, the way we approach that is to say, how can we use that in a positive way? And we talk about uh, minimal intervention for maximum output. What I mean by that is we have assay studios in Birmingham, which is the old assaying office, so testing of precious metals in the jewellery quarter. And um, so when we took that regeneration on, it had, I think it was 18 safes in the building for, for you know, locking up all the precious metals. And it's, does, it's pretty obvious to state that it's pretty difficult to take a safe out of a building. So, you know, we left a lot of them in and we use them as meeting rooms or quiet rooms or we obviously welded the door open so no one gets shut in them. But, you know, another good use for them is a quiet room because you can't get any phone reception. So just a little example of where in an old building, you can either find that as a real problem and it costs a fortune to strip them out and try and make these big floor plates. Or you, you think creatively, how can we reuse this building in a way that works? And, and in our sector, again, you know, when we're creating an environment for lots of creative and digital businesses, you want those nooks and crannies for people to have meetings or quiet rooms, as I say. So, you know, you either see these things as a problem or you find creative solutions. So I think trying to take an old building and turn it into a, the equivalent of a new office is very difficult and expensive. But if you're creative and willing to work with the building and think we can use that bit as a cafe and that bit as a workspace, then they're actually more cost effective than the new build. Um, but you don't just give a plan to a builder and say, can you build me that building like you would with a new build? You are, it requires a lot of passion and, and determination um, to keep solving problems as you work through that process. So in our experience, it's, it is more cost effective to um, regenerate old buildings, um, but it's hard work, but it's very rewarding. So on the other point of sustainability is just a really interesting one. We talk about recycling old buildings and um, clearly, you know, an old building, again, using Newark as an example, it's fresh in my mind. We're just, in fact, we're pr practical completionists today, in fact, um, after two years of build. And, um, you know, that had roofs needed completely replacing. Uh, we replaced all the windows um, and a huge renovation, all the, all the electrics and mechanical stuff is completely new. So it's pretty much a derelict building. But we did some research with Bureau Happold, who are civil engineers and uh, mechanical engineer, engineers as well. And they did some work for us because we said to them, look, let's try and get some numbers against the sustainability point because it kind of gut feels, feels that if we can use something that's already there, it's better, but let's actually get some numbers against it. And they did an example where refurbishing and regenerating what we what we have done and then they said right but had you knocked that down and got rid of all those materials and then built exactly the same size new building what would be the carbon input and the results of that came out that we we were it was seven just over 70 percent less carbon to regenerate new works into what it is now which is just impressive which is phenomenal and you know we've done a lot of work on insulating roofs and as I say new windows so you then have to look at that over and that was looking over a 25-year lifespan of the building so that's not just the carbon that you've, you've sort of protected and not used anymore it's also then the operation for 25 years so that was just mind-blowing really um, and what's great about that is we can hold that up as a real case study to anyone questioning it and saying from a sustainability point of view recycling old buildings is is just a third of what you do using for a new building which is phenomenal 
how important is your team? I and mean, you talk about Burrow Happel there, but you know, do you do you look for something different in your in your kind of uh, delivery team when it comes to to your approach? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we're it's we're very involved in the process at TCN, so we are very active as part of the team. And it's constantly I mean, one of our values is is well, two of them are courage and challenge. Um, and another one's passion, which you need, but focusing on the courage and challenge, we're, we're happy to sit there and go, why does it have to be like that? Um, how can we do this differently? And quite often the builder will say it's not possible. You know, you've just got to knock that bit down, put a new wall, otherwise you're going to have issues for years. And having the courage to, to challenge that and, and what, it's just easier to knock that bit down and do a new wall for sure. But how can we avoid doing that? And so, yeah, in terms of the team we work with, um, it has to be quite bespoke teams. So we, we don't tend to use big corporate companies um, because we want to work with an individual who really understands us. And so from the architect, in this case, it was Nick Brown at Ferguson Man, who's just been um, phenomenal. Um, the bureau's guys, um, we used a very small project manager, MEA based in Bath. And so you've got individuals that share that passion and to constantly ask why and how can we how can we do it a bit differently? Otherwise, you know, real estate is uh, development is a very imperfect process. As anyone that's replaced their kitchen or refurbished a house knows, it's just a nightmare because it's a very imperfect process. And so you need to be prepared at every step to make another decision, maybe back up a little, change direction. What you can't do is just hand it over to a team and say, "Let me know when it's built." But we love that. The sectors that you're serving, you mentioned kind of the creative and the tech um, sectors. I think sometimes they're known for being more challenged in terms of their diversity or inclusion or gender balance. Is that something that um, that you think good design can support them in? Or do you think that that's, uh, you know, that the kind of location of the office or the place environment of the office isn't really related um it's an interesting question i think uh, you know the, the approach we take is is very inclusive and at tcn what we try and do is create a platform for businesses to come in and do their thing mm -hmm. so we're not we tend to not get involved in uh sort of micromanagement of how people use the space um so i mean obviously you know from a buildings regulation point of view you know, there's various requirements in terms of numbers of loos for each sex and disabled um, toilets and, and disabled requirements for lifts, etc. So we provide a platform that's that's very inclusive. And I think mm -hmm. you know, these industries um, are very um, switched on and have high standards in that in all those regards. So. Yeah, look, I think our buildings um, are very open, they're very inclusive. We focus, it's all about the community for us. So we want each business to come in, have their own culture, their own identity. Um, we're not, we don't want transient. So we're not a sort of serviced office where people may be there for a month and then disappear. Mm. We design it so people will come in and make it their home. And an example of that would be our fit out is a very simple space that people can come into their own office and fit it out as they want, whether it's redecorating it, whether it's putting in meeting rooms or whatever it might be. And then our contribution is really the common areas and making those really well designed and a really lovely feel for the breakout spaces and the kitchens. So we want each company to have their own identity, their own culture in their space. But when they then come out and be part of that community, 
in as I say in in the kitchens and communal areas and so on it's very much a kind of welcoming inclusive community and we actually manage that very closely to make sure that we we talk about radiators and drains so we want people that are radiators we don't want the drains in the community and that we're really onto that because we've had experiences where one business out of 30 can really disrupt an atmosphere in a building and that's so key to to our product is to have a community that everyone loves being part of and is really positive and, and has a real vibe to it. I like that radiators, not drains. And I suppose your focus on location. I mean, I know there was one um, major project in London that was located in a place that was uh, quite uh, dark to get to. And they ended up having to bring in kind of escorts. People felt safe getting to their transport connections and things like that, which they thought was impacting um, women wanting to work there, some women wanting to work there, or some people from, you know, perhaps backgrounds that they've experienced um, violence or racism being uh, impacted. So they had to do interventions. But I guess having it well connected in kind of a city center location can kind of alleviate some of those issues. When, you, when you're doing the kind of, uh, in terms of you not being a transient office space, have you had to look at the kind of durations of your leases or what? Because you've got this big span of companies. So do some of them take you know are, are they taking longer leases or do, do you have to have kind of flexibility in terms of of your leasing structure uh well i my original my background was i used to work for shaftesbury who own Covent garden not well they're doing a bit of Covent garden but carnaby street mainly the carnaby estate when i was there back in 2000s early 2000s and i learned a huge amount you know as a trainee in that company which is all about relatively short leases which which work both ways so it's great for the occupiers because they've got flexibility but also Shaftesbury being the landlord the owner of that whole area they own the eight streets of Carnaby Street and the whole village around that actually the landlord wanted Shaftesbury wanted to keep very tight control so in that instance if you had a brand that went off and suddenly started being a bit mainstream they wanted to be able to get that brand out and replace it with a new brand that was more in line with the whole atmosphere they're trying to create which is a really cutting edge sort of get Carnaby Street back to its swinging 60s so I learned a lot from that. So ever since we've had the business in 2006, it's all been about relatively short leases. Um, and that is for the same reason. You know, if you get a, using that radiator and drain analogy, if you get a drain in a community, you don't want to have given them a 15 year lease that they're stuck with the problem forever and everyone else leaves because it's a horrible atmosphere. So we've always been about um, keeping flexibility because it's great for the occupiers. And really since, since we've been doing this people also want flexibility because they tell you they're going to grow and they're going to be you know we might we're two people at the moment but in nine months time we're going to be 100 people and um you know which is wonderful rather than going i'm not sure if my business is going to exist it's confidence that small businesses have um and quite often that happens which is brilliant so they want flexibility we like the flexibility um and that's that's the way we've always been so to be more specific, on a say an eight-person space, um, we tend to do three-year leases, um, and if it's a bigger, uh, bigger than that, it normally is a five-year lease, possibly with a three-year break, because as companies get bigger, they need a bit more certainty. You know, if they're doing fit-outs and that sort of thing. So that tends to be, and that's actually where it's settled, not from our doing, but what people actually want as well. So, you know, we don't want to be doing monthly licenses because too many people are coming and going and it disrupts the community um but as i say we don't want to give too long at leases because if people are causing a problem then you, you're slightly stuck so that's the sort of natural place that it's settled on which seems to suit the businesses and it suits us but some people here were talking about six month leases being the 
the new norm, that's not where you're going. It's still, you know, you want people to be invested in this community and, and resident, basically. That's it. Yeah. And I think if you want a six month lease, it's probably better going to a sort of spaces or a Regis and decide whether that works or not. And, and you know, if people are saying, can I have six months, then we want to commit to you and we'd like you to commit to us or to the community. So it's probably not not for us or for, for the, the occupier at that level yeah and actually through covid um what we've seen is that clearly that trend is accelerator in the in the broader office market and people have sort of come down in terms of the lease lengths um the only thing we've seen is that bigger companies are prepared to do a three or a five year lease so when i talk about a bigger company you're talking over three thousand square foot so sort of 40 people plus and in the past, they've been wanting to take a 10 or a 15 year lease because they've got a business plan. They know what they've got, to, uh, their requirements. And what's happened, of course, post COVID is that everything's got more flexible. You know, phone contracts, gym memberships, everything's more, it's a flexible world. You can rent a car for a day at Zipcar, everything. We, it's a, we live in this sort of very super flexible world. And so actually bigger companies are now happy to say, yeah, look, I only want to sign up to a three or a five year lease because we're either going to have sold out um you know our business or we're going to grow or whatever so i don't want to commit longer so the only real change we've seen as a business post-covid is that bigger companies are coming into our spaces probably downsizing from twenty thousand square feet into four thousand hybrid working and happy to take a five or yeah five-year lease we talked about helping to feed that community between the office spaces. What are your you know, top tips for community building when it comes to, to creating that ecosystem of radiators? So one of them is probably no drains. So what are the hallmarks of a drain? How do we spot a drain? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's interesting because you, you get into the sort of social side of the world, which I love because I'm, I'm a chartered surveyor by trade. So I, I just operate in square feet and, um, service charges so it's great to be able to sort of stumble into a world where you're starting to work out a bit more sort of um, not quite social engineering but you know what I mean and uh, it's, it's really gut feel isn't it meeting people we so we what we do is we employ all we do all the management ourselves so if, if every TCN building is run by TCN and we have members of staff on site that are full-time employees of TCN so that's the biggest change we've made we had an absolute shocker with external agents and I'm not going to name them here but they're a national managing agent and it the this, this customer service was just appalling um you know incorrect invoicing not answering phones you know people turning up a week after a complaint about a looming block I mean just just the managing agents in the UK really struggle because they're not set up to be fair to them not set up to provide a customer service they're set up to have long leases and Sort of turn up at year five to argue over the rent review um so you know we we do all the management in the house and that means that we can offer a level of customer service that is really hard to provide otherwise um so you're getting a culture of tcn in all the buildings which is a big start and then i think after that it's obviously providing that platform lots of breakout spaces um encouraging people to mix and collaborate but not getting too involved um you know that's that's quite important i think you know, I talk a little bit about sort of refereeing a rugby match or being a host of a party. You don't you don't want to be the like the most fun person at your own party. You want people to meet each other and enjoy and the atmosphere to sort of build with a gentle bit of encouragement for you, not for you to be sort of doing the most crazy dancing on the dance floor. So 
that's a little bit how we organize our buildings. We try and get the companies to come together and do their thing. And we're sort of providing the platform. So there's a few different aspects to it. Um, and going back to our original bit of the discussion, being, being in a really great city um, or area with a really interesting heritage building that's designed as a, we talk about surprising place, is a big part of, of frankly, of getting those communities working, which is why it's so hard to do it in a, in a new build. Have you noticed other things on people's wish list? I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, great schools, like affordable housing, but, you know, we talk, is this, you know, craving for nature or green spaces, something that has, um, you've seen an increased desire or a certain uh, level of awareness around health and well-being? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, we're, I suppose our model is, as I've said, sort of, in, you know, great cities is really where we're focused. So, you know, we're every TCM projects within 10 minutes of a train station. Um, so biking, walking, um, and when you look at the cities we're in, Bristol, Bath, London, Norwich, Reading, Birmingham, they're all beautiful cities with parks, with outdoor space. So we're lucky that by design, I guess, that we're in places where it already has those lovely places and that sort of wellness side to it. And that was a big part of Branch Hill, but our first site was in London. And then I wanted to do more outside of London because I just thought London was so intense that particularly for younger members of staff, you know, it's expensive, it's intense, the commute's difficult. Actually going to these places, it's a more enjoyable place to live. And with technology changes, you know, even back in 2006, you could see that Macs and iPhones just coming out then were giving the people ability to work more remotely. So we could go to these cities with the wellness side. So that was, that's always been a big part of what we do. Definitely see it. And I, I think there's a big market, it's not our market, but when you look at the office sector as a whole, it's got these niches of, of whether it's what we do in the sort of managed workspace, it's got the it's got the sort of serviced offices. And then the other really interesting sector I see is, is brand new, highly sustainable buildings with real wellness about them, you know, amazing. Because, I've talked about old heritage buildings, but you look at some of the new distillery in Bristol would be an example, um, whereby you walk in and it's beautiful, it's real wow factor atrium, you know, worth leaving, again, worth leaving home for, um, with roof terraces and wellness and gyms and cafes serving fantastic food and drinks. So that's where I think the other bit of the office market's gonna thrive. And it's the bit in between that is, is gonna struggle, you know, the, the slightly cramped 80s designed office building just on the edge of a of a town somewhere i don't know what you do with that but um you know niches like ours or flexible workspace great um and then these very super new buildings with wow factor great wellness the air handling that's purifying the air you know roof terraces and inspiration i mean that that's really exciting i think and you know it's going to be hybrid working from now on but if i work for a you know, big investment bank or a accountancy or whatever i'd definitely go to town three days a week if i was going to walk into something like that so i think that's so the it. mediocre space the mediocre experience and the mediocre place i mean you're really talking coming back to that idea of it being important from the moment you kind of get to that from that train station to your door and then when you walk inside as well that being worth that worth the journey Exactly, worth leaving home, yeah. Yeah, I think the Chinese had it, you know, how many thousands of years ago, and they said if you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over. Do you have any uh, fears around the current um, market conditions or turmoil? I mean, it's been a kind of strange few years, really. 
It's been a strange few years. Um, yeah, I mean, too many, too many incidents to sort of talk about on on a podcast, I think. But generally speaking, in our sector, the resilience of small businesses is phenomenal. Um, we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, a lot of our businesses have a global reach um, because thanks to technology, and that's been something that's that's saved a lot of businesses in the UK. You know, a lot of people are trading with America and China and. Uh, well, glo- globally, because they're producing software that is scalable. Um, so you can see, two, you know, we, we had a partnership with the BBC on some of their buildings at White City in London. Um, it was called the Ugly Campus because they were ugly buildings, but the uh, website was lovelyinside.com, which kind of told you our philosophy. And we had one uh, occupier, two members in there, there's two guys, and they sat on their laptop and um, they their accounts were just off the scale because they had some software, gaming software, where they were charging for a, a bigger machine gun or a faster car on this game around the world. And they were phenomenally successful. So, you know, it's the resilience through this tough time has been really interesting by these SMEs because they're doing some really fascinating stuff that is far more reaching globally, thank you, thanks to technology. So we've seen resilience. Um, have I got concerns at the moment? I mean, we've talked about some of the benefits that seem to have come our way, people downsizing, wanting more interesting space. Um, that seems to be falling to us, which is great. And interestingly, a broader sector of businesses wanting our type of space now. If you go on newatworks.co.uk and see what we've done in Bath, you'll see it's, it's incredible wow factor space. But rather than just tech and media companies coming and digital companies coming our way, we're getting a much broader spectrum um sort of range of businesses because everyone wants their staff to come to work and have a exciting interesting experience and so that's all been good for us my concerns we just need to steady the ship a bit in the uk um talking very specifically about what's happening at the moment with our government um i think everyone's holding their nerve and the expectations that you know that we can ride that out. Um, the banks haven't got ahead of themselves in terms of lending money to real estate. So people's mortgages, commercial and residential, are not up at 90%. You know, we've not been lent more than 50% for five years. So the banks have, have not extended themselves. So I'm not concerned by what happened in 08, 09 from that point of view. Um, I think what's going to happen is it's going to squeeze out a lot of companies that I think they call them the zombies, don't they, that have been surviving on very cheap money because the business model might not be perfect, but you can kind of get away with it. And I think now margins are getting squeezed because costs are going up with utilities, interest rates are going up, uh, customers are going to be more discerning and careful how they spend their money. So I think there's going to be some clearing out of companies that are perhaps have sort of bumbled along because they could get away with it. So it's going to be tougher, but I think if our government... Um, can just um, steady the ship a bit, then I, I think I think we're okay. I think it's going to clear out a bit. We all, we all need to, there needs to be a bit of a deflating of a balloon, um, but it doesn't need to be a popping. I think it can just slow up a bit and then we can sort of rebuild on some really strong fundamentals. Richard, that just leaves me to thank you for talking to me today. It's been a super interesting chat and congratulations on New York Works uh, completing today. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, well, it's been ten years, so I'm very excited. So I'm going to go off and have a celebrate your cup of tea. I think, but uh, yeah, very nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreoncom uk. 
You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.